Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. This morning we are beginning a brand new series. And the brand new series is called First Things. How many of you ever played a game, I don't know what we call it, I know in America they call it the telephone game. But in New Zealand we call it Chinese Whispers. Anyone ever played Chinese Whispers before? So this is how Chinese Whispers works. Is that you get a phrase or a sentence, a short sentence, and you give it to the first person in a circle of about 10 people. And they... They have to read the message to the person next to them in their ear. They have to whisper that message, but they're only allowed to share it once. That's the rule. Once. They're not allowed, the person's not allowed to say, hey, what did you say? Only once. And so they pass it all around the room. And you know what happens? It's never the same as the original message. Like here's one they did years ago. Send reinforcements. We're going to advance. It came out on the last person in the circle as, send two and sixpence, we're going to a dance. (laughs) Or another one, daddy's got hairy legs, came out as, granny's got fairy legs. (laughs) So the point is simply this, is that over time and communication, messages often get distorted. And how that relates to us as disciples today is that often what we're presented with in our current day in terms of practice of church, politics, policies, the way that we do church can often end up being distorted from the original message that Jesus gave. Can somebody give me an amen this morning? And so we find ourselves living far away from the original prototype. What's a prototype, somebody? The first of its kind. And in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see that uh, the church of Jesus Christ, after his death and resurrection, is formed for the first time. And what we're going to be looking at over this series is that we're going to be looking at what the early disciples did first. The first practices of the early church. Why is that so important? Because if you get a distortion from the original, you don't get the same power that the original had. And the original power that the early church had was signs, wonders, miracles, hundreds and thousands of people coming to Christ in a very short period of time because they followed the original words of Jesus and they stuck with it and it was incredible what God did. So we're calling this message First Things. We have distortions that have come into the world like come to church. What's the distortion? The distortion is, you are the church if you know Jesus. I'm the church. The church is in the building. It's whoever's received Jesus. So we say, come to church. What we should be saying, come to a gathering of Christians. Jesus said, go into all the world. There's the distortion. And we're telling everybody to come. And Jesus said, no, go. We're saying, come. And he's saying, no, go. (laughs) 
Another distortion that we can often hear in the consumer society that is driven, absolutely driven. We live in the most consumer-driven culture that the world has ever seen. That has just been multiplied untold times through the power of the internet where it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're online or offline, you are pounded by marketing. You are pounded by what you don't have that you should have, that you need to have right now. And so we live in a consumer-generated society and culture, which actually causes us to be orientated very much towards self. And so the cry of today's generation is, what can you do for me? Jesus said, what can you do for others? Come on now. There's a distortion that's going on. Some sectors of the church say this, miracles have stopped. When the last apostle died, miracles ceased. There is no more miracles. Jesus doesn't do any more miracles on the planet. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus said, pray for the sick and they shall get well. He's a supernatural God who has supernatural power. We ain't going to take in any phony, fake, religious sentiment that says Jesus can no longer do miracles now. Many of you in this building today have received miracles. Many of you have been walking down the dark side of life and you've seen the light and you've, your whole life has been transformed by the power of a miracle. If that's you, say amen this morning. And so things have gotten distorted. We need to go back to the prototype, the first of its kind, the original church that gathered, and we need to find out why were they so successful? What was it that they did, the first things first, that they did that generated such incredible power and such amazing love that took place in that first century church. So we're going to start by reading the account from Acts chapter 2, verses 40, down to verse 43. And with many other words he testified, this is Peter, Peter the apostle, and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. You see, friends, the world we live in is an incredibly perverse world. Now, I'm not bagging the world. I'm just telling you a fact. Watch the 6 o'clock news in New Zealand, and you'll see how bad things have become in our own country. People used to call New Zealand God's very own country. It's a beautiful country, but we've got some perverse activities taking place. There's homicides nearly every single day in our nation. There's a massive methamphetamine uh, 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 that's hit our nation, that's ruining lives and households and generations and kids. It's the kids that end getting screwed up in the whole process, and then it repeats the cycle. And he's saying, Peter's saying, you can exit this lifestyle. He's saying there's an exit door that's now available to you to get out of this life and come into a new life. In verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that same day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's not bad church growth, is it, in anyone's book? But look, look at the next verse. All the believers devoted themselves. Wow! They devoted themselves. Do you know what that word means? It means this an unrelenting commitment. All the new believers had an unrelenting commitment. 
And we're going to find out what this unrelenting commitment was as we read on. Number one, to the apostles' teaching. Number two, to fellowship. That means coming together instead of staying behind closed doors in your house. They exited their house and they went to somebody else's house or they went down to the temple. Number three, to sharing in meals. And somebody said... <laughs> I'm not sure if they had pavlova back then. I don't know what they're missing out on. Uh, and fourthly, and to prayer. Look what happened. With these four ingredients, look what took place. Listen to this. I felt this this morning in the worship. A deep sense of awe. I felt that this morning in church. Did anyone else feel that this morning as we were worshipping Jesus? A deep sense of awe. Whoa, God's in this place. Whoa, something's happening right now here at Faith Point Church. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Nobody missed out. Woo! And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That means people who had cancers were healed. That means the crippled could walk again. That means that deaf ears were open. That means that blind eyes could see. That's what that means. And we see that actually recorded in the following chapters of the book of Acts. You see, friends, this devotion is what put the church on a level footing. This unrelenting commitment to these four things caused the church to be a supernatural force in the world today. How far we've removed ourselves from the original prototype plan that Jesus had. And I believe that Christianity at its core is not complex because it wouldn't, then, it wouldn't be, then it wouldn't be something for every man and every woman. Christianity at its core is very, very simple. But we try and make it so complicated. We try and flash it up. We try and intellectualize it. We try and make it for the university graduates only, for the professors and the scholars. But Jesus went to the ordinary man. Jesus went to the tax collectors. Jesus went to the prostitutes. Jesus went to the ordinary man and ordinary woman with a simple message, come and follow me and I will make you fishes of men and fishes of women. He said, come. He said, come and follow me. And he said, I will make you. I'll transform you. I'll change you. You won't be the same person that you used to be. You don't have to try and work it up, work it out. My power working in you will change you and transform you. And as a result of that, you'll be out there telling other people about the transformation that's happened in you. You can't help it. We don't always get it right the way we tell it. <laughs> Amen? We don't always get it right, but we try. Because why do we try? Because we just love Jesus so much. We want other people to know about him. So, four things the original model had. Truth, fellowship, food, and prayer. Wow, what a simple recipe, but what a powerful recipe. I want to ask you a question today. What do you think we would all look like here at this church if we only had one meal a week? Very good. <laughs> Very good, you would say. Week after week? 52 weeks of the year? How do you reckon you'd be looking this time next year if you had one meal a week? You, you would be the, the svelte version. 
You would be the skinny mini. You would be probably the emaciated, famine-looking version of yourself if you only ate one meal a week. And yet, you know what the criminality of this is? Often many Christians only have one meal a week when they come to a gathering on a Sunday. So if we could get an accurate look at our spiritual condition, we would be a very skinny version spiritually of ourselves because we binge out on Sundays and then maybe we have a snack or two during the week. But as a result, it affects us negatively. It affects our spiritual condition And the Bible tells us in this prototype plan that was far different cry to what was happening in the life of the early prototype church. A recent survey of Christians done tells us that only that 80% of most Christians open their Bible once a week. Guess when that is? (coughs) Sunday. 80% of the resultants of this survey only open their weeks, their, their Bible, once a week, usually on a Sunday. Comparing that to medicine and the American Medical Journal, journal, this is what medical doctors recently gave a very revealing discussion about diet and poor health. And this is what they've said. I want you to listen carefully to these words because there's some truth in it for us today. The health of 21st century America will no longer be determined by what the people can get doctors to do for them, but it will be determined by what doctors can get the people to do for themselves. Did you get that? It's not determined, our health is not determined by what we can get doctors to do for us, but it's what the doctors can get us to do for ourselves. And the parallel version of that spiritually, first the natural, then the spiritual. Amen. The parallel of that as Christians is it's what you can do for yourself spiritually that's going to cause you, whether you're going to be a champion Christian or whether you're going to be one of those that eventually just slowly, the life ebbs out of you. You stop fellowshipping. You stop joining with other Christians. You get involved in activities that you know are going to head you down the wrong track. And then what happens? A a cloak of shame comes over you and that garment of shame stops you from fellowshipping with other Christians because you think they're going to see who you really are. So you exit and you head out the door. It's not what we can get pastors to do for the church, but it's what pastors can get Christians to do for themselves. To be self-feeders, to be self-generators. To be ones that will mine the gold and dig out the glory of God in their own lives. You know, I had three young men, three young boys, and man, when they turned into teenagers, they were ferocious eaters. (laughs) I never, you know, you buy one loaf and they go through the loaf and you're thinking, flip, I need to buy two loaves now, you know, because they're just mowing through it. But if you came round and had a meal with me and Viv, or should I say Viv and I, if you had a meal, get the grammar right, if you had a meal, if you had a meal at our place and you came into the table and there my 16-year-old boy is sitting in the high chair and Viv serves up the meal to everybody else and then she comes and brings his plate and says, 
Open up for mummy, son. Open up so the train can come. Choo-choo, open up. And he's 16 years old. Is there something wrong with this picture? <laughs> By the way, she never did that. All right. <laughs> and so it's about us learning the power of the early church was precisely because of this factor. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They became champions for Jesus Christ because they had a devotion, a relentless pursuit of truth, a relentless pursuit of making sure they weren't lone rangers, but gathered together with other believers and shared the revelations that God was putting into their lives, the testimonies, the miracles of what God was doing. You know, we have continuous testimonies all the way through the week. Some of you knew that I got ripped off by seven grand from a, somebody who managed to get my credit card details last week. $7,000 in four days. Just racking up the transactions. And when I first discovered it, it was 11 o'clock at night, and it was a little hard to sleep that night, but I managed to get to sleep. And, uh, and, but the next morning, the first thing that I did, you see, friends, when you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, everything that happens in your life, God has given permission for it to come past through your front door. Otherwise, he wouldn't be sovereign. Amen? As Georgie preached the other day, double trouble. Sometimes it's double trouble. And, uh, and so as this came, I, next morning I took it to prayer and I just had a deep peace over my life that God was going to sort all this stuff out. So I went up the road to the police station, reported the incident to the police, gave them all the information, and I just left it with them. Obviously I called the bank and everything else. And so uh, I teamed up with the detective this week and we did some detective work. I love being a detective. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and so we got a breakthrough this week, and we know who it is, and the police know who it is, and he's got a, he's got a record as long as my arm and leg. And, uh, and so they're on to him, which means that I'll get all my money back, which is absolutely awesome. Um, but God always works in and through your situation when you are a submitted follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this in John 8.32, You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free, shall set you free. The Christian life is not a life of rules and regulations. It's a life of freedom. It's a life of being, of being able to choose right over wrong. Not to have laws imposed on you that cause you to actually break them because every time someone says, thou shalt not, you go, I shall. <laughs> But it's an internal transformation where God writes his laws on your heart, not on a tablet of stone or in a book, but the Spirit of God writes with living ink inside of you. And suddenly you find that you've got the power when that temptation comes knocking on your door to say no. You see, if we don't pursue the truth, guess what we get? We get lies and we get deception. That fills our hearts and our minds. And you see, that's the power of Satan. The power of Satan is in the power of deception. 
And so if he can, if he can get a truth and make it a half-truth, he's already on the way to deception in our lives. That's why we've got to go back to the prototype, back to the original plan, back to what they did at the beginning and find that there's the truth, and the truth will set us all free, and we can begin to be the church that God calls us to be. You know, when I came to Christ, uh, God gave me a mentor, a discipler. I ended up going flatting with him, and day by day, he just taught me not out of a, not out of a, a book uh, other than the Bible, but not out of a training course or anything else, and we would get together, and I, and I watched him. I learned how to pray. I learned how to get up at four or five in the morning before we went to work. I learned how to put a big blanket over my head because we were loud worshippers. And I learned how to uh, get into that place of being able to seek the face of God and learn God's word by simply devouring the word and allowing the word to become flesh in me. And slowly, inch by inch, I worked myself out of all the debt that I had because of drug use. I worked myself out of all the stuff that was going on in my life until I was coming to a point of freedom where when the temptations came knocking, I could say, no, 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 no. It is written. It is written. It is written. Just like Jesus did when the devil came to him that day. And not only that, friends, when you learn to become a self-feeder, when you learn to devote yourself to the apostles' teachings, to truth, when you learn to feed on the Word, this is what happens, is that God builds an internal strength. And you might look the same on the outside, but on the inside, you're like a lion of Judah. On the inside, there's courage, there's strength, there's inner fortitude, there's an ability that comes within your life. Suddenly, you're listening to what God is whispering in your ear. And everything in your world changes because now the, in, the, the, the navigation systems no longer somebody telling you what to do, but you adopt an internal GPS system. Holy Spirit on board. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, show me what to do. Holy Spirit, shall I go and visit this person today? Holy Spirit, what shall I do? And suddenly there's fruit that starts growing on the branches of your tree because you have learnt. And not only that, when you come to a gathering with other Christians, you're excited. You know, you turn up and you look scary. Everybody's thinking, far, he's burning bright and shiny today. I get that all the time, you see, because of my hair color. I'm a bright, shining lamp wherever I go. When I go and minister in Asia, everybody can see me blocks away. Oh, there's Pastor James. He's three blocks away down the street there. <laughs> but you come to a gathering and, so, and you have the fire burning in you. And something happens and you start changing, your orientation starts changing away from self and you begin to get other focused. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And you start giving away and giving away. You know what happens when you keep giving away? God keeps pouring back in, pouring back in. Pouring, but you can never outgive God. He keeps pouring back into your life. He pours in new revelations. He pours in new scripture. He pours in new understanding. He pours in new wisdom. You know, you think, I could have never worked that out with my brain power. That had to be the wisdom of God that showed me what to do in that situation. And suddenly you find yourself growing and growing and growing. And so you come to church and instead of wondering what you're going to say, You've got something to say, to share with others 
because you've been with Jesus and you've learned to feed yourself. You see, some people say to me, well, Pastor James, my start wasn't like yours. You had that wonderful mentor that, that really poured into your life, and I'm grateful for that. But I want you to think about something really, really carefully and an interesting thought today. So I never had a disciple like that. Do you know that you have the greatest mentors that have ever lived? Their name is Peter, Apostle Paul, King David, King Solomon, daily verses out of the book of Proverbs that are filled with wisdom. You can be personally mentored by the greatest mentors that have ever walked the planet by opening the pages of the word of truth and allow them to speak into your life and into your situation. So don't tell me that you've never been mentored. You have the greatest mentors. It's up to you whether you're going to open the book and allow their words of life to penetrate your soul today. You know, attitude is everything when it comes to discipleship. Look at this in Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word. Those who gladly received his word. Let me put it to you like this. When you're not gladly Receiving the word, you know what happens to your countenance? It goes from to. You go from being a glad person to a mad person. When you haven't been receiving the word gladly into your spirit. Attitude is everything when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. You can choose whether you're going to gladly receive the word into your life or whether you're going to madly going around being mad and angry at everybody because you've starved yourself from the word of truth. And you've stopped the flow of the word of life coming into your Oh, I've been too busy, Pastor. I've been doing this, I've been doing that. Listen, friends, we all have the same amount of time every day, every week, and every year. We've got to stop excusing ourselves by saying we're too busy and make room for God in our lives and allow Him to speak the word of truth into your life. And so you suddenly change your attitude and you're gladly receiving the word. You're filled with the joy of the Lord is your strength. Suddenly you're getting stronger. You're growing stronger because the Word of God is filling you with fresh joy within your life. And suddenly you're like the Psalm 23 who says, my cup runneth over in the name of Jesus. They gladly received the Word of God. Listen, friends, it's not just hearing the Word. We know what Jesus said about that. It's not just hearing the word. It's not just saying this is a philosophy of religion. This is psychology. That this is the thoughts and principles of men. This is the word of God that the scripture says about the Bible that every word that God's put in this book is God breathed, God inspired. That means you have access to the inspiration of God within your life. And when you receive that, you mightn't like it sometimes. How many of you know that? Sometimes God will tell you, this is what I, you read the word and you go, whoa, I've been going in this direction and suddenly I've read the word and I need to turn around and I need to head in this direction and you have a choice to make right here. What am I going to do? Which way am I going to go? Amen? Amen? And so when you choose God's way, 
and you walk in truth and you devote yourself to truth, to the teaching of the Word of God, something happens when you receive that into your spirit. The Word becomes engrafted in you. You know the process of grafting a branch into a tree is a delicate process. But an agronomic existencist will tell you, they will tell you how that process can take place. It's a delicate process, but grafting can happen. And this is what happens. Suddenly, the word is not just words, but the word becomes flesh. And it becomes engrafted into us. So our whole orientation begins to change because something living is growing in me and has been engrafted in me. Woo! You know, and lastly, glad he received his word. Wow. His word. This was the revelation as Peter was preaching that day and they gladly received his word. This wasn't the words of just a man. This was the words of a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a man who was filled with revelation. And they received the revelation of the word within their life and it changed their lives forever from that day forward. Here's a couple of reasons why you can rely why, why you can um, gladly receive the word of truth. Because you can rely on it. This is what uh, Psalm 18 verse 30 says. Listen to this. As for God, his way is perfect. You like that? There's no error with God. There's no mistakes with God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. Woo! Come on. God says in the book of Malachi, test me. Test my word. Put it into practice. And you'll see that I'm not a liar. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken? Numbers says, shall he not make it good? Amen? And so this morning we see... You know why you can rely on the Word? Because it has power to make you walk in a straight line. Yeah, I know we've all got little bends in our walk, little curves and swerves that happen within our life where we start stop listening to God and start listening to our good ideas. You ever tried that before? I did that once. It cost me about 10 grand. That was horrible. <laughs> I bought a van for youth ministry and God never told me to buy it. Um, the next week it blew up. I took it back to the guy I bought it off. And I said, you've sold me a crock. I said, you need to pay for this. And he said, I ain't paying for it. I'm not liable for it. It's a second-hand vehicle, blah, blah, blah. But I tell you what, I'll go your halves. He paid half. We did fully reconditioned the engine. Five grand. So now costs are mounting up. I've paid the full price. Now I've paid half for an engine rebuild. And then the next week the wheel fell off. <laughs> This is what you call a curve and a swerve away from the truth. <laughs> In the end, that vehicle, not only was it ugly, it was ugly. When my wife first saw this, we, we were just courting at the time. When Viv first saw this van, she said to me, it is the ugliest thing I have ever seen. I'm sorry. And I thought it was quite beautiful. But she said, no, it's, it's really, really ugly. It was a mustard yellow. It was... You know, a bit of a square box. Uh, and anyway, you know what happened with that van? I tried to sell it. Nobody wanted to buy it. I dropped the price. Then I dropped the price again. And then I tried to give it away. 
nobody wanted it. <laughs> so you know what I called it? Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. That's what Ichabod means. And it got left in some old fire station in Hunterville, down country. I never knew what happened to it. I really hope it had a, a really good burial somewhere along the way that somebody dismantled it and just ripped it apart and buried it all. Because it was a real bad memory for me. <laughs> but God's word has power to help you have a straight walk. Look, listen to this, Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you, Lord. When you hide and store the word and meditate on the word in your heart, something incredible takes place within your life. And suddenly, there's not too many more curves and swerves. You're walking a straight line. You're not on the wide and broad road that, road that leads to destruction. You're on the straight and narrow road that leads to eternal life. And one more verse. Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. God was doing that in the worship this morning. As we were lifting up the name of Jesus, this is what happens in worship. When you enter his gates with thanksgiving and you enter his courts with praise within your life, when you choose... And you make a decision, no matter how I'm feeling today, I'm going to worship God despite the way I feel. This is what happens. You get access to the presence of the King. And you come into the presence of God and suddenly there's refreshing. Suddenly the weight of the world is no longer clouding your vision. Suddenly you can see a way forward for your life because of the presence of the King of Kings. So practically, I want to give you some practical keys before we finish up this morning. How can we practically get a diet of the Word of God and devote ourselves to truth? Number one, make a commitment to devote yourself daily to the Word of God. Because if you carry on in those verses, it says, daily they met in the temple and broke bread together. Daily. Can you imagine that? That's commitment. But what it's saying is that there is a daily exercise that goes on within our commitment and our connection to the Word of God. Proverbs 8.34, blessed is the man who listens to me, listen to this, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Wow. Isn't that a cool verse? Daily at my gates. How many of you use a Bible reading plan? Probably about, yeah, probably about 50% of you. Really encourage you. There's so many Bible reading plans that are out there today. If you don't mind reading on your phone or on your iPad, there's heaps and heaps of Bible reading apps that have all sorts of daily reading plans on them that you can begin to connect with to get this daily thing happening. Secondly, is to meditate on the Word. This is a real secret. This is a real secret for you. This is what God told uh, Joshua. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's the promise. You'll be prosperous, and you'll be successful. I, I reckon that's a pretty good promise, don't you reckon? Who wants failure? Yes, 
Choose me. I want failure this morning. I want to fail through my whole life. (laughs) He says, if you'll meditate on the word day and night, you will be prosperous and you will have good success. So our relationship to this word of truth is actually vital. Your relationship to the Word of God is going to determine your prosperity and your success as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. This is why it's so important. But here's the key, is that word meditate. Some people think it's volume. If I can read 10 chapters a day, I'll get through the Bible three times in a year. I'll be Sunset Sam, the spiritual champion of Faith Point Church. Have you ever tried reading 10 chapters of the Word a day? It's like... (laughs) Listen, it's not volume, it's meditating on the Word. What is the word meditate? It means to murmur, it means to ruminate. What that means is that you get a thought from the Word and you think about it in your mind. You tackle it from all different directions and angles as you think about that one verse that God was definitely speaking to you about. And as you meditate on that, key thoughts will come from the Holy Spirit into your life. And you'll find that strength accessing your soul. Thinking is one of the most underrated disciplines in the life of a Christian. It's great to think. It's great to think for yourself. It's great to be a thinker and take time out and your time with God to actually reflect and think. And I'm going to show you a way in just a moment you can do that. Lastly this morning, don't just read it. Don't just meditate on it. Write it down. Journal simply means write. Keep a journal. Keep a notebook. Some people find it much better. And by the way, Harvard University analysts have proven this by looking at the regurgitation of university lectures by those that took handwritten notes and those that copied their PowerPoints and typed out their notes. There was substantial better recall for those that wrote. You know why? Because as you're writing, you've got to summarize it in your head, the best way to summarize the sentence, because you can't keep up with the typers. But you're using your brain. You're not just copying and regurgitating what a lecture is telling you. That's why it's great to take notes when people are preaching. <laughs> because you'll have a much better recall that will take place in your life. And so Habakkuk said this. He said this. I will stand my watch and set apart myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Isn't that interesting? Not listen to see or to hear, not listen to hear what he will say to me, but to watch. Because your spiritual eyes are also an avenue for receiving from God. I'll watch to see, and then I will answer when I'm corrected. Verse 2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. I don't know how many times I've been blessed by my spiritual journal as I've reread lessons that God has spoken into my life. And as a result of it, there's reinforcement and the revelation comes alive in me again as I reread what I've written maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago. You see, at first it's about you getting into the Word, but then it turns and it's about the Word getting into you. 
First, it's about you getting into the Word, but then it's about the Word getting into you. You know how the Word gets into you? You write it down. You write it down. How many of you did lines at school? I shall not be a naughty boy. I shall not be a naughty boy. I used to do a few lines when I was at school. That was old school, old school discipline. You hated it because your hand just got so swipe. Smith, I can't write anymore. My hand is cramping up. No, you're going to stay here until you finish your 100 lines. <laughs> Didn't anyone else get that? Come on. Yeah, there you are. I'm not the only one. Praise God. You always find in church there's heaps of hands that go up for that sort of stuff because we're all the former scallywags of the world. <laughs> so God says, write it down. And here's a simple way of writing it down. Many of you will already know this. This is a global method of journaling that is very popular. But I'm just giving you some practical to finish off with today on how you can grow in the Word by keeping a journal. How many of you use soap? <laughs> that was my next question. How many of you use it every day? <laughs> See if there's a difference in the hands that go up. <laughs> so, well, this is an acronym for you to journal. It simply goes like this. An acronym is each letter stands for a word. S stands for scripture. Write down in your journal one or two verses out of the chapter or chapters that you've read. Write down one or at the most two, verses of what has stood out to you as you've done your Bible reading. Write them out. Write down the page, S at the top, further down O, further down A, further down P. So you take up a whole page for the day. Then write down the verses where God has spoken to you. The O stands for observation. What have you observed is being written and is being said. Don't necessarily try and draw any conclusions. Just be a detective and look at the Scripture and have a look who's writing what, who's been written to, what is God saying in these couple of verses, and write down your observation. The next A stands for application. What does application mean? It means how do I apply what I've just read? How do I put it into practice what I've just read? What is the application? What is God saying to you that you need to do as a result of reading what you've just read? Is everybody with me? And lastly, but not leastly, and not to be underrated, this, I found this incredibly powerful. Write out a prayer in direct relationship to what God has just been speaking to you about in your journaling time. A short one or two sentence prayer from your heart. Write it not as if somebody else is going to read it, but write it as if you're writing directly to the Lord. Amen? So here's an example up on screen from an entry out of my diary last year. It's not 2019. It hasn't happened yet. I'm already, di I'm already journaling in the future. I'm a futurist. I'm a futurist. So this is what you do. You date it. And then after you've done your journal, leave a space at the top and give it a title. You should be able to summarize in a very short title what this means to you. That's powerful, being able to summarize it. So I gave it the title, Reading the Bible Brings a Burning Heart with Understanding. What was the scripture I read that day? Luke 
2432, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Yeah. 45, and he opened their, this is Jesus, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You see, he gave them the scriptures and then he dialogued or meditated with them on the scriptures. And he began to talk about what he'd just been sharing with them and he was giving them understanding. You see, when you make space for Jesus in your quiet time, ask him to talk to you about what you've just been reading. My observation, when Christ expounded the scriptures to anyone willing to take the time to listen, the result was a burning heart of passion for God. When we open the scriptures with an attitude of wanting to hear from Christ, we will receive revelation and understanding that will open new options for our lives. What was the application for me? Soap has been one of the great discoveries in my life. Daily searching the scriptures for that one key point of interest and allowing the Holy Spirit to amplify that to my heart and writing it down speaks multitudes to me. It allows my heart to meditate on key concepts that build a reservoir of understanding and heart connection to God. The scriptures are key to our destiny as believers. They will do more for us than any other one single thing, I believe. And my prayer after writing all this, my prayer was this. Open my understanding, Lord, that I might comprehend the scriptures and receive the light of the world into my spirit man. This understanding spurred on the woman in those days and your death and resurrection may it also cause me to be more effective in my calling as a preacher. Oh, I love you, Jesus, with all my heart. Thank you for your death and resurrection. Without it, I would still be in my sins, rolling around in the mire of an extremely selfish life. You've saved me from so much anguish. Amen. There's a little inside of my little heart <laughs> and my personal time with God. And I want to tell you, it is powerful. It is powerful. Could we stand to our feet, please?